have any of you ever been knocked out before? Like, knocked out by a punch before? Okay. I've never been knocked out by a punch before, but I did get in a fight on the playground. Well, it wasn't much of a fight. I got in an altercation on the playground when I was in fifth grade on the basketball court, and uh, this kid, before I knew what was happening, I was on my back. Like, he did some ninjutsu karate thing, flipped me over his back, and I was on the ground. Wind was knocked out of me. I was pretty sure I was dying in the moment. But if you've ever been knocked out, you've ever been dropped in a fight, you've ever been blindsided, you know what it's like to just have your, your senses reeling. Like, you're, you wake up from being out cold and you're trying to figure out what in the world just happened. Or you get taken down by somebody, blindsided, hit, whatever. Maybe you've been in an accident. Maybe you've been in a car accident before and you didn't see it coming. And in the aftermath, you're going... What just happened? You're trying to get your bearings and you're trying to figure it all out and you're trying to to find your center again, so to speak, so that you can operate and function and and figure out what you need to do from there. Well, in a lot of ways, as as Ecclesiastes opens, it's going to deliver a knockout punch. So I'm just warning you ahead of time that it's coming. In boxing, it's, it's probably one of the most overhyped sports that there is out there, right? You've got the weigh-in where these two grown men take off all their clothes except for the unmentionables and they stand toe-to-toe and they just like stare at each other and they're all a stinky breath in each other's face and they're growling at each other and yelling at each other and one of them's usually Irish and just all kinds of random stuff and they're screaming at each other and there's this, that hype there and then you know, you're getting notifications on your phone from ESPN about the fight that's coming up and you need to buy it because then they're doing pay-per-view and they're charging you $50 and your firstborn child to watch this fight and you sign up and, and you watch it and you sit down and then sometimes what happens? The fight's over before you even like open up your soda. In fact, the fastest recorded knockout that I was able to find goes back to the 1990s between a guy named Daniel Jimenez and Harald Geyer and the guy was dropped in 17 seconds. 17 seconds. Well, Solomon doesn't even wait 17 seconds. He doesn't wait 17 verses. He doesn't wait seven verses. Solomon delivers the knockout punch for us right off the bat in verse two of Ecclesiastes. See, this opening section, it's going to be this this blow to us. It's going to blindside us. It's going to take us down, and it's going to to level us, at least those of us who have been looking for lasting joy, satisfaction, meaning, or purpose in this life. I want to start, though, again at the end, as this series is called, Beginning at the End, and I want to start back in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you were with us two weeks ago, we read through the whole thing. I'm not going to do that again tonight, but I do want to start again back at chapter 12, because these verses, these words are important to remember. In verse 11, Solomon says, the words of the wise are like goads, okay, like like prods, like spurs, like things that, that make you uncomfortable and kind of push you on. The words of the wise, they are like that. They're like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And you guys who just got your syllabus are like, yes and amen to that. But then he says this, the end of the matter, after everything's been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. With those words, those verses in mind, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. 
Solomon says, the words of the preacher. The words of the preacher, the, the one who instructs the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That greeting is why we say that this is Solomon, because it's, it's a, a son of David who was also king in Jerusalem. King over Israel, we'll find out later in Jerusalem. Look at verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Well, there were only three kings who reigned in Israel over Jerusalem, or, or two, over Israel in Jerusalem, and that was who? That was David and Solomon. After that, the, the tribes broke up. You had the, the northern tribes, which became the, the nation of Israel to the north, and then you had the, the nation of Judah, the southern tribes. And so the only king to reign from Jerusalem after David over all of Israel was Solomon. And so that's one of the main reasons why we say, hey, this was Solomon writing. Also, he's the son of David. And he says this, and here's the knockout blow that he delivers, and here it is. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. He repeats it. All is vanity. All is vanity. It's perhaps the most well-known verse in Ecclesiastes. You tell somebody that, hey, we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes with our college ministry, and if they know anything about the Bible, and if they've read Ecclesiastes, they're going to say what? They're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's the, the phrase that sticks out. It's the phrase that people hold on to. And if we don't understand exactly what he's saying here, it's a phrase that can sour our opinion of the entire book. We can read that, and we can say, oh, great. Well, this is going to be a fun semester to, to spend you know, 10 sessions, 11 sessions, however many it is, just looking at this concept of life is, is vanity. But is Ecclesiastes really about meaningless futility? I just read what Solomon said. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. In other words, Solomon's recording the words of this book in order to propel you on towards a goal. The words of the wise are like goads. They're supposed to prompt you to do something. Like nails firmly fixed are the collected of the sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And so for Solomon, as he was writing this, he wasn't writing this without a point. He wasn't writing this without a purpose. He was writing this to accomplish a goal, to accomplish an, an end. He wants your life to be different as a result of your time in this book than it was when you started this book. And so even though it opens up with this knockout blow, this vanity of vanities, in other words, the chief vanity of all the things that are vain, all of life is that. It's not that he's saying that it's meaningless, that it's pointless. In fact, this is Solomon's thesis statement for the entire book. And the question that we need to ask then is, okay, Solomon, if that's true, if life is boiled down to this phrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, then we need to ask the question in light of that, what? How should we then live? How should we live this life? If you're telling us up front that, that it's, it's futile, and it's a word in Hebrew, the word is hevel, and it's a word that, that is translated vanity or vapor or mist or meaningless or futile or frustrating or fleeting. You see, it's got this broad scope of meaning. And it almost has to carry its own weight. But if Solomon is saying that, that this is what life is about, that this is the opening statement, the thesis statement of his book, then we need to ask ourselves, well, how then should we live? See, Ecclesiastes, it's, it's a book that's going to confront your hopes of finding purpose, meaning, hope, satisfaction, lasting joy from this life. 
And if that's where you're at, if you're saying, well, hey, uh, that, my, my goal is to be satisfied in this life. My goal is to measure up to the American dream. My goal is to get married. My goal is to raise a family. My goal is to be better than my mom and dad were. My goal is to be richer than my mom and dad were. My goal is to be sane. My goal is just to be happy. My goal is to be a politician. My goal is to change the, the world. My goal is to change my peers. My goal is to go overseas and go on and, and do great things there and international business. If your goal is, as Solomon's going to say here, under the sun, then what verse two does for you is it knocks you out cold on the mat and leaves you wondering what in the world happened. Because Solomon's saying, that's vanity of vanities. It's futile. See, this is a book that's it's going to change the way that you live your life because it's going to change the way that you think about life. And in changing the way that you think about life, fundamentally, it's going to change the way that you look at the world around you. Point number one tonight is this. Think rightly about the world in which you live. Think rightly about the world in which you live. That's what Solomon is, is wanting you to do here off the bat. He's confronting you with this statement. He's not saying, as he opens up the book, hey, how, how are you guys doing? He's not saying, hey, you know, isn't, uh, isn't it great to stop and smell the, the flowers every once in a while? He's not saying, you know what, life has some great moments, enjoy the ride. No, right away, he's confronting us who want to find purpose and meaning and value and hope and fulfillment and satisfaction in this life. He's confronting us and saying, that pursuit, man, it's the vanity of vanities, it will frustrate you. It will leave you feeling unsatisfied. How many of you got a letter jacket in high school? A few of you did. I never did. The only time I lettered was I was a senior in high school and I didn't want to get a letter jacket for college. Right? Why? Because how many of you still wear your letter jacket on a regular basis? Don't raise your hand if you do. Just, just lose that battle, okay? Why don't you wear your letter jacket to school, to college? Because you're a dork? Okay, that's Luke's answer for us. But yeah, basically, right? Because you're done with high school. You've moved on from it. But man, I remember being a, a sophomore, a junior in high school, and if you had a letter jacket, that was a status symbol. Like that, that meant you were an athlete, or, or you were a, a band person. But you were... You were an athlete, and I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Dallas. I grew up where you have literally $50 million football stadiums that are built, right? Just these massive things. And, and to play football in Texas, in Dallas, is the be-all, end-all. And for me, you can tell that God didn't make me a football player. So my friends, though, they, they wore their letter jackets, and there was that pride, and you're like, man, that is cool. I want that so badly. And you think that that's, that's everything, right? But then if you have that, and then you go to college, all of a sudden you realize... And that's not really anything at all, is it? In fact, if your friends are still talking about their glory days in football when they're in college, you're looking at them going, dude, what are you doing? Why? Because you've realized that there's something more than that. That there's something bigger than that. That there's something better than that. And so you, you don't still live in your glory days when you're in college because you've moved on from that. And you realize, okay, now there's something better. Now there's something that reveals to me that everything that I was living for previously, okay, and maybe I got that, but it didn't last. The satisfaction, 
the meaning, the purpose, the value. It's not there anymore. It's vanity. It was a mist that appeared for a moment and then it's gone. See, that's what Solomon's trying to get us to understand. We have the memories, but there's nothing tangible for us to hold on to or experience anymore. Chapter two is going to unpack this idea in detail for us. Solomon's going to pull back the curtain on his own pursuit of the things that he looked for, for purpose, for meaning, for satisfaction, for fulfillment. And he's going to give us this list and he's going to say, look, in, in the end, it, it's, it's vanity. But for now, I, I hope that you're a little bit startled, that you're a little bit uncomfortable, maybe even a little bit mad at Solomon. If you're mad at Solomon, I'm okay with that because it means that you're engaged that you get what he's saying because really what he's telling you right now is that the things that you have lived for, the things that you have as set as, as goals, the things that you are driving and striving for right now, he's looking at you right now and he's confronting you and he's saying, look, you know what that is? It's vanity. It's futile. It's meaningless. It's not going to satisfy you. That should ruffle your feathers. That should cause you to go, wait a minute, that's, I don't like hearing that. That doesn't sound like what my mom and dad have taught me. That doesn't sound like what the world wants me to think and believe in. Because it's not just Solomon who tells us these things, right? Solomon's dad, King David, Psalm 39 verse 5. Psalm 39.5 said this, Behold, God, Father, you have made my days a few hand breaths. You've made my days, but a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Did David mean that his life was meaningless before God? That it was pointless? That, that God doesn't care about his life? No, he's saying, God, you are the eternal one, and so my life that's, that's but a, a few mere hand breaths in, in totality Compared to you, the eternal one, my, my life is, is meaningless before you because it's here and gone. Mankind stands as a mere breath. You walk out in the morning, you breathe, you see your breath, and then it's gone. Psalm 144.4, man is like a breath. His days are passing like a shadow, like a plane that flies overhead and sometimes if it's low enough, you can see the shadow coming behind it on the ground and the shadow just passes by and then it's gone. And there's no impact, there's no effect, there's no lasting memory of that shadow on the ground. The shadow was there and now it's not there anymore. And David's saying, that's what our life is like. And then New Testament, 1 John 2, 15. John says, do not love the world. Why? What does he say about the world? For the world is already what? Passing away. The world is passing away. The things that you are living for, the things that you are longing for, the things that you want to, to satisfy you, the things that you want to find purpose in, getting the job, getting the internship, getting the promotion, getting the degree, getting the relationship, getting the marriage, getting the family, getting the car, getting the house, getting everything. It's, it's passing away. 
And I, I remember, and, and even now still, I'll, I'll have older people come to me and, and tell me about my kids, but I re- remember even being where you're at and, and older people coming to me and being like, man, cherish life because it goes by so quickly. And you think to yourself, okay, yeah, whatever, because you, you're sitting there going, I can't wait to graduate. I can't wait to be done with this. I can't wait to, but have you ever stopped to think, why don't old people ever come up to me and tell me, oh man, life takes forever. Have you ever heard somebody towards the end of their life say that? No, I haven't. I've heard a lot of them come up to me and tell me, man, life passes by and it's over before you know it. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So we need to start thinking about the world that we live in differently. The way that Solomon wants us to think about it. And that is number one, that it's, it's not going to satisfy us. That if our desire is to find hope and purpose and meaning and lasting joy here, man, it's going to disappoint us. It's going to let us down. Think about what you want to do with your life. Maybe some of you are still holding on to the dreams that you've had for your life from the time that you were little. Maybe some of you, you've left those things behind and you've got new goals, new ambitions, new desires. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is what my plan is. This is what I want to do. I would venture a guess in this room, some of you want want to make a a, a pretty significant difference and impact in this world. You want to leave your mark. You want to change things for the better. And it's not that that's a, a bad desire. But Solomon has something to say to you. Look at verse three. He says, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does a man gain from all the hard work, the labor, the, the, the sweat, the, the blood, sweat, and tears, the hours that you invest in your life? What does I, a, a man gain? In other words, what is left over? What is the re- remainder after I give myself to this pursuit of my goals in my life? What does a man gain by the toilet which he toils under the sun? That phrase under the sun is a, a, a euphemism that he uses for just life that we live our lives under the sun. What does a man gain? The implied answer to that question is this. Nothing. Nothing. Psalm asks, what's left over? What remains after I spent this work toiling, working hard, laboring, the, the drudgery of work? You're going to school right now and you are pushing through the classes that you can't stand because you're thinking to yourself, this is part of my pursuit of a degree and the degree is gonna get me a job and the job is gonna get me an income and the income is gonna get me the, the house I want and everything else. Solomon is saying, what do you gain from the class that you are enrolled in right now that you can't stand? from the dead-end job that you're in right now that you're thinking to yourself, man, if I work hard enough right now, at least for a while, I can put that on my resume. Maybe that'll lead to a better job down the road. Solomon's saying, what are you gaining from that? Nothing. There's not much in this life that's gonna come to you on a silver platter. Not much at all. You think about the things that you want. You think about a house, okay? Especially a house in Southern, Southern California, right? you're going to have to work and you're going to have to save and you're going to have to sacrifice and you are going to have to toil in order just to be able to afford a down payment. 
And then you're gonna have to toil to be able to afford your payments on the house. And then you're gonna have to toil to be able to afford the insurance on the house. And then you're gonna have to toil to be able to afford to keep up the grounds of the house. And then you're gonna have to toil to be able to afford the security that you need on your house. And then you're gonna have to toil to be able to afford the repairs that need to get done on that house. A car. Some of you know this by experience. You're gonna have to do the same thing. You're gonna have to work hard to come up with the money you're gonna have to sacrifice, you're gonna have to save, you're gonna have to labor in order to buy the car. But then what happens as soon as you buy the car? You drive the car and driving the car puts wear and tear on the car and the car begins to break down. And even if it's not breaking down, you're having to change the oil to make sure that it's not gonna break down. You're having to get, buy new tires to make sure that you don't skid off the road. See, the, the work, it's, it's an endless cycle of, of work. A good job, you want a good job. That's not gonna be handed to you. You're gonna have to work hard. Show yourself to be a hard worker. You're gonna have to do the menial things, the the grunt work in, in areas in order to build up the reputation of somebody who's a hard worker to get into the position that you want to have, that you're angling for and that you're working for and you're gonna have to climb the corporate ladder competing against other people in order to get the position that you want. It's going to involve toiling. A good marriage. This is harder than all the rest of them. You're gonna have to work to cultivate your relationship with your spouse. You're gonna have to work to confess sin to one another. You're gonna have to work to forgive one another. You're gonna work, have to work to die to your preferences, to prefer the other person above yourself. And then if you wanna have kids, that gets that much harder for your marriage, but then you've also gotta work with those kids. See guys, That's all what Solomon is talking about. It's toil. It's hard work. It's labor. And Solomon is saying, what is left over at the end of it? When is it done and I can just enjoy the fruits of my labor? And the answer is, it's not. Think about your life. The majority of your life is spent working for something that you want. Let's say you live to be 90. And let's say you're able to retire at 60. Think about where you're at right now to 60 and how many years that is. For some of you, that's 40 years. Some of you, that's less than that, but not much less than that. So you retire at 60 and by, by good fortune, you live to be 90. So you have 40 years of hard, laborious, toiling work in front of you to retire at 60 to spend maybe 30 Years, quote unquote, enjoying, enjoying the, the toils of your labor. But then by the time that you retire, right around that time that you're like, great, I'm ready to enjoy the fruits of my labor, that's when your body begins to break down. And that's when, when trips to the doctor involve more and more prescriptions. And that's when you start to, uh, to, to realize that you, you can't do the same things that you used to be able to do. Oh, and by the way, you still have to work. Because Lord willing, you're still gonna have a marriage at that point and you're still gonna have to work at that marriage. You don't retire from working on your marriage. You're still gonna have kids and they're gonna be grown and you're still gonna have to have a role in their life, Lord willing, and and that's gonna require work. You're still gonna have a house that you're gonna have to take care of and that's gonna require work. You're still gonna have a car that you're gonna have to take care of and that's gonna require work. See, you're never gonna get to the place where you're done working. And Solomon is saying, if you're living for that, it's vanity. Because what does a man have after everything is said and done? 
What remains after all of the hard work that I am going to put in? The implied answer is nothing. Because you are going to toil until you die. Second point tonight is this. Come to terms with your own finitude. Come to terms with your own finitude. Finitude being the opposite of infinite, right? That you are finite. You are created. You are somebody who has a beginning and an end. The Bible says that God has numbered the days of our lives. That he's written them down in his book. Jesus, in in addressing the subject of anxiety, you remember when he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And again, the implied answer there is none of us. Why? Because we are finite creatures. We have been created with a beginning and an end. And what God has given to us in our finite lives is he's, he's given to us to work and labor and toil in our lives. And Solomon says, what's going to be left over after that? The implied answer is nothing. In fact, later on in the book, he's going to say, you know what? If you've worked really hard, and you've gained this great 401k, this great retirement plan, and you've got a nice house, and you've got nice cars, and you've got everything else, because you're going to die, and you're going to leave it to somebody else, and you've got no control what they do over it. They could squander it all away. See, so much of our life is, is wanting to break free from this cyclical pattern of working and working and working and working and working. And Solomon says it's not going to happen. Look at verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Do do you sense the rhythm, the, the, the cyclical pattern in those verses? He says, a generation dies while another one is born, but the earth continues on unmoved. He says the sun rises and then it sets and then he says it, it hastens around again to rise over again because this is just the, the, the pattern. And he says the wind blows to the south until once it gets far enough it's going to circle back around and it's now going to blow to the north and then it's just going to continue in this cyclical pattern and the wind is just going to continue to blow and blow and blow and blow without ever being exhausted. And then he says, consider the streams. The streams, they they run from the mountains and they go into the rivers and then the rivers go down and they fill the oceans and yet the ocean never fills up and the stream never empties. It just continues to flow and to empty and to flow and to empty and to flow and to empty. See, he says, all things are full of weariness. Men speak and there's no end to their speaking. As long as there are microphones on earth, there are going to be men who are willing to stand behind them and say things. The eyes, they see, but they're never satisfied. Your eyes are never going to be like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. I don't need to see anything else that's beautiful. I don't need to see anything else that's awe-inspiring. I don't see, need to see any, anything else that's amazing. I'm good. Just go ahead and shudder me. I'm, I'm good to go, right? The eye always wants to see more. The ear always wants to hear more. You're never going to say, you know what? I've, I've heard everything that I need to hear. I've heard all the stories that I care about. I've heard all of the, the good news that I ever need to hear. I've heard everything that that I could care for, and so I'm I'm good. Let's go ahead and just shut down the ears. 
No, they're always going to want to be hearing and they're always going to be looking and toiling and laboring for more and more and more. And yet they're always going to be what? Unsatisfied. So you see Solomon's looking at nature and he's saying nature is shouting to us the message of this book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Chasing, chasing, chasing. And what's the gain from the chasing, from the laboring, from the toil? Nothing. Nothing. Right now you want the but, don't you? You want the but. You, you, you want the, the yeah, but God. But Solomon doesn't give it to us. And it's intentional. He wants you to feel the heaviness. And it's a good thing for us to feel. It's a good thing for you to feel where you are right now in the stage of life that you're in right now. To be confronted with the heaviness of the vanity of this life. To be confronted with the heaviness of the reality that if you live your life for what's here and now, it's not going to satisfy you. You're never going to be done going for what's next, what's better, what's after this. And if that's the way that you live your life, you're going to come to the end of your life and you're going to realize that you've missed the entire point of living. And guys, this isn't the atheist reality. This isn't the nihilist's reality. This is the reality for all of us. That this is what amounts, this is what is produced, this is what is yielded from a life that's lived for the things that are here and now. And yet we want to break free from that. One of the ways we, we try to break free from that, one of the ways we try to push back on that and say, yeah, but my life's going to be different, my life's going to matter, my life's going to be significant, is this quest for permanence, this quest for significance, this quest for even the novel, the new. But look at verse 9. He says, what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's been done. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after One of the most certain ways to be remembered by this world is what? To offer something that's new, right? But Solomon's saying that's impossible. There's nothing new under the sun. It's, it's, it's part of our human identity to want the newest, the greatest, the latest, the, the most advanced. But Solomon is saying that that's a, a cycle that you're going to fall in that's, that's never going to satisfy you. Because as soon as you get what's new, then there's something that's newer, right? You're going to say, well, I want that. And he's not saying here that nothing new is ever created or invented, but the desire for new, the desire for the novel is, is always going to be there. Before there was the iPhone, there were these things that you flipped open called what? Flip phones, right? And the goal with the flip phone, ironically enough, was to get as, as small and thin as you possibly could. And then the iPhone and the, the Galaxy were like, no, let's make huge screens. But before the flip phone, there was just the, the, the cell phone, the Nokia brick, right? Before the Nokia brick, there was the car phone. This was something that was hardwired into your vehicle. Had a curly cord. Before that, there was the cordless phone at home that everybody got excited about. 
that you didn't have to, to carry your, your phone thing with you everywhere you went and, and only go as far as the, the wire connected to the wall would let you. It was wireless. You could walk around and carry it with you. Before that, it was this, this touch-tone phone that you had connected to the wall, and some of you had the football phone, older leaders in the house, that it was the shape of a football, and, and it was connected, and you could walk around, but only as far as the wire would let you go. But before that, there was, there was the rotary phone, which was an advancement because no longer was it anchored to the wall, but you could now have it sitting on your coffee table. And before that, there was this wall-mounted phone with the, the, the black handle thing that you picked up and did this, and you, taught, you guys remember seeing those in the old black and white movies, right? So you see the same novelty that is today's iPhone was that phone at one point. That's what the author means, that there's nothing new under the sun. The same desire for that next new novel advancement, thing that's going to make my life better, that's going to break out of this cycle of futility and vanity. I want that. Psalmist saying there's nothing new under the sun. Think about it. 1969, we landed on what? The moon. We landed on the moon. Dumb and dumber. Um, 1969, we land on the moon, right? Now where are we trying to get? We're talking about going to where? Mars. Mars. Great. We, we're going to land on Mars. Maybe. Then what's going to happen? We're going to want to do what? Land somewhere else, right? Why? Because there's that desire. But that desire is the same desire that was there in 1969 that put the astronauts on the moon. See, there's, there's nothing new. There's this quest. There's this desire. There's this desire. This, this I want to be different. I want to be new. I want to be, I want to make my life better. I want to break out of this cycle. And, and Solomon is saying, you can't. That novelty is redundant. It's been there. It's been done. And again, again, right now, we are begging. Solomon, give us something. Give us some hope. Give us some, some balm. Give us some salve. Give us the, yeah, but, but it's okay because Jesus. But the problem is, is he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Is there anything of which it is said, see, this is new? It, it has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. See, Solomon's confronting us with our own insignificance. He says, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things to come after us. You guys have heard of penicillin, yes? Some of you who may be science majors or bio majors who, who recently had to answer this for the test, don't chime in. But for the rest of us, do you remember the name of the guy who created penicillin? A couple of you might. Thomas Penicillin. Thomas Penicillin is not the right answer. <laughs> it's a good effort. I believe it was a guy named Louis Pasteur, which just came to mind a second ago because preparing for this, I could not remember. This, is, this was the wonder drug, right? And we, we know about penicillin, but what do you know about him? Not much. Think about the person in the lab somewhere, hopefully, Lord willing, in the, the coming years that's going to discover a cure for cancer. Who's going to remember that guy? Even in the immediate aftermath, it's not going to be about him. It's going to be about a team at Johns Hopkins. It's going to be about the, the group. It's going to be about the Mayo Clinic. It's going to be about whoever the, 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 the faceless, nameless organization company that does it is. But that guy who's working and laboring and studying, or gal, I don't want to be, I want to be an equal opportunity preacher up here, 
who has given their entire life to finding this and they do something that everybody has wanted them to do and nobody's going to care about who they are. There's a poem. Well, actually, before I get that, let me give you the third point. Number three, feel the weight of your insignificance to the world. Yay, church. (laughs) Feel the weight of your insignificance to this world. Again, we want Solomon to say, yes, but Jesus, but Jesus died for you, and if you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus would have still died for you and all that good stuff. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, you're gonna be forgotten. There's a poem by Carl Sandburg called Grass. And it says this, Carl Sandburg, pile the bodies high at Austerlitz and Waterloo. Shovel them under and let me work. I am the grass, I cover all. Pile them high at Gettysburg. Pile them high at Ypres and Verdun. Shovel them under and let me work. Two years, 10 years, and passengers ask the conductor, what place is this? Where are we now? I am the grass. Let me work. It's a sobering poem that's talking about these battlefields that are battlefields of of history where great battles were fought and the, the poem is personifying grass saying, hey, you know what? Bury the dead. Let me grow. And before long, people are gonna come around here and go, did something take place here? The insignificance. There's a guy by the name of, of Count Zinzendorf. It's a name, right? Count Zinzendorf. And he had a goal in his life. And this is where we begin to, to pivot a little bit, okay? So those of you that are out there going, yes, but I want the but. I want the but God. Here's as close as we're going to get, Okay? Today, at least. Not in the whole study, but today. Count Zinzendorf said this. This was his goal. We've got this question, right? In light of vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The question that Ecclesiastes has set out to answer is this. How should we then what? Live. How should we live in this world? How should I conduct my life? If that's what the the reality is, if this world is vanity of vanities, how should I live? And Count Zinzendorf answered that question this way. He said, you want to know what my goal in life is? He said, it's this. I want to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. He said, I want to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Two of those things were inevitable. Death and anonymity after death. It was guaranteed he was going to die and he would be forgotten. The other one is his answer to the book of Ecclesiastes. How should I then live? What really matters? That's what Solomon's wanting you to ask. And in light of in light of the impending reality that my life is not the, uh, the eternal life that is going to change the cycles of this world. My life is not going to radically uh, uh, revolutionize the, the world and, and, and everything. And, and the things that I want are not going to satisfy me. And I'm eventually going to die and I'm going to have to leave all this behind me. In light of that and that death is a reality that is waiting for me 50, 60, 70 years for some of you maybe. Down the road, what do I do with my life? What should I live for? And that's the decision that you all are confronted with. 
the choice to make is that choice to take Zinzendorf's statement, I want to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Excise, preach the gospel, and now you've got to fill in the blank, and that's your decision, and that's what the rest of your life will bear out. I want to fill in the blank, die, and be forgotten, because die and be forgotten, that's done. Now it's about what are you going to live for in that blank. That's not going to leave you to say, man, my life was vanity. Pointless, meaningless. And I hope you choose what Zinzendorf chose. And as this book continues to, to develop, and that's why, again, it's beginning at the end. It's beginning at the end, beginning at the end of life, beginning with the concept of death, beginning at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why I, I read those verses at the, the, the start, the end of the matter, when all has been heard, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Vanity of vanities, how should I then live? Solomon, what do you want me to do? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Because anything else is going to leave you empty. Watch this video clip here as we conclude. It's just a couple minutes long. But watch this and listen to what he says. I stand before you tonight as the 2019 valedictorian. This time last year, I found out that I was in the running for this title. It was then that I decided I wanted it. So, I worked hard for it. I sacrificed for it. And yes, I stressed for it. And I got it. And at our senior award ceremony, it felt so good when I heard my name announced with this title. It's so good. For about 15 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds of my heart racing and my adrenaline pumping. 15 seconds of, yeah, I won! 15 seconds of being at the top of the pile of all my accomplishments. And it felt euphoric. But there must come a 16th second. And on that 16th second, sat down in my seat, I looked at my silver stole that says valedictorian, and I thought, that's it? What just happened? Why, why am I not feeling anything else? Uh, to be honest, I, I don't even know what I was expecting. A parade of balloons to drop? Or, or maybe I was hoping that all of my problems would fade away in comparison to this amazing achievement. But none of that happened. Not even in my heart. I felt nothing. I worked for it. I stressed for it. I labored for it. I got it. And it felt amazing for 15 seconds. I sat down. I looked at the thing around my neck and I thought, that's it? You guys, take whatever you want, whatever goal you are living for in this life that's not the valedictorian, right? Take whatever goal that is and, and, and swap out what he just said there and that's what Solomon's confronting you with. That's it. 
I wanted to feel it in my heart. I wanted to feel fulfillment. I wanted to feel like, yes, this was all worth it, is what he was driving at there. I wanted to, to sit there and say, now all my problems are fixed and solved. And, and he goes in, and yet I felt what? Nothing. Thankfully, this young man is a believer and goes on in the rest of this speech, and it's a great, amazing speech, to say, look, the, the, the fill in the blank for him is to go out and make disciples of Christ. You guys have to choose what the fill in the blank is going to be. But this world's not going to satisfy you. So you need to change your, your, your thought process about this world. You are finite. You have a beginning you have an end. I made a comment earlier tonight to somebody and I said, yeah, we all, I mean, technically all of us are dying and that's true. From the moment you are born, you are dying. Some of you, it's just gonna take a lot longer than others. You're finite. And the third thing is, is really in the grand scheme of things from a world's perspective, you're not very significant. This is Solomon's knockout punch which we need because after we've been blindsided, after we've been humbled by that, now we're ready for the teacher, the preacher, Solomon, to begin to now instruct us more thoroughly to answer the question, how should we then live? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this text, this word, and, and I pray, God, that this was a heavy message. I pray that there's hopefulness in it too. God, that this is not a message that is the product of human wisdom, but that this is a message that is given to us that is part of your self-revelation of who you are. And this is a message that's a, a shot across the bow. This is a, a warning to us to say that we don't need to live for this world. And if we live for this world, then we've missed it. We've missed the point. We, we're not living the way that you want us to. And so God, I pray that we would be humbled by this. I pray that we would feel the weightiness of it. And I pray that we would have a hopefulness as well to say, okay, great God. Now, so then how should we live? Form us, mold us, instruct us, shape us, guide us. So that whatever it is that we put in that blank, I want to blank, die and be forgotten that whatever that is, God, the world may not think is very significant. But Lord, if we choose wisely, you will consider it significant. And that is the key. The end when all is said and done is this, fear God and keep his commandments. That's what we want to do, Lord. Help us to have the discernment to know what that looks like in each of our lives individually. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.